story is told of two college girls uh, who were in college near the coast. They really loved the ocean. There were shells in their room. We'll call them Jan and Cindy. (laughs) And so, you know, school's going. It's hard. They take a day. They go down to the beach. And they're going to enjoy the beach. And the surf is calm. And they've taken tubes with them. So they're sitting in the surf. They're bobbing in the water. They're talking about school. And the sound of the surf and the smell of the salt and the warm sun, they close their eyes for a minute. At least what they think is a minute. And when they open their eyes again, things look really different. They've been washed out to sea. They are in trouble. And as they notice this, some panic begins to set in. And one of them try to roll over in the tube and the tube pops out from under them. We'll call her Cindy. And she panics and is thrashing and is fearful and afraid she's drowning, afraid that there are sharks in the water. And there are. But thankfully, an old man had noticed what was happening and saw them looking like they were asleep, drifting out into the ocean. And so he had called rescue. Rescue is on the way. Lifeguards are coming. But as they're going out, the lifeguard is preparing himself for the rescue, knowing that most likely that rescue is going to be rejected through fear. He gets there and he overcomes her fight to save her own life. And the two girls are rescued. Cindy and Jan make it. Yeah, I remember I had a little bit of, of training in, in water safety and uh, was taught not to just swim up on somebody who is drowning because they will drown you too. To go under, to grab them by the waist and turn them around and to get them around gently and get them out of the water. Because somebody who's drowning is being controlled by fear and all they want to do is stay afloat and when you come close to them, they will try to float on you. And drown both of you. That fight instinct often is counterproductive. We resist our rescue. The history of God's plan of salvation that Stephen is rehearsing before his martyrdom is a history of rebellion and resistance to God. Israel has resisted God from the beginning. Israel goes into captivity, the northern kingdom in 720, the southern kingdom in 585, all because they resisted and rejected their rescue and sought out idols instead. They chose idols that they could control, that gave them a sense of control, only to leave themselves, lead themselves to destruction. And that's exactly what the leadership of Israel at the time that Stephen is speaking is doing. They're resisting God. They're rejecting His rescue in Jesus. And some of us find ourselves in a similar place fighting our rescuer. We want to save ourselves and we can't. 
We want to control the terms of our lives and we can't. We want to guard ourselves from pain and harm and we can't. We don't want to rescue or we want to do it ourselves, but we can't. Deep within the heart is rooted a resistance to rescue that must be overcome by grace. We are born resisting God. And today, as we see Stephen focus in on Joseph, we see that story that beautifully pictures Jesus of resistance and rescue. God is sovereign. I want you to go away knowing God is sovereign. He is in control. He, much like the hymn, answers our prayers in ways we never imagined sometime. But He is in control. And He is sovereign over our lives and has brought us rescue in Jesus. Trust and submit to Him. Trust Him and submit to Him. Number one, look look back in the text in verse 9. God has, and there's two points here. The first one is, God set the stage of rescue through rejection. He set the stage of rescue through rejection. It says this in verse 9, And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and all his household. Now there came a famine through all Egypt and Canaan in great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. Go back and read about the life of Joseph in Genesis. Pick up in chapter 37 and go on. We're getting a, a really condensed summary in this passage we're looking at. But notice what happened. Through the the patriarch selling Joseph into slavery, God was preparing the salvation deliverance from this famine for His people. In other words, God was in control bringing His purpose to pass. And that is always true. God is in control bringing His purpose to pass. God is in control bringing His purpose, which is His glory in Christ Jesus, His Son. His Gospel going to the ends of the earth. His purpose in our lives. As R.C. Sproul has said, there's not a maverick molecule in this universe. If there was, it might be the one that throws everything out of sight. He is in control. He is sovereign. And He has told us what will come to pass. He did it in Joseph's life. Go back and read about Joseph. He he gave Joseph dreams of rule. He was giving a picture of what he would accomplish in Joseph's life. Which would be him ruling and his brothers and his family bowing down. They didn't necessarily like hearing that. But it would be what God would bring to pass. But God is in control. He's bringing all things to pass. Just a couple of verses. God's sovereignty. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, it says this, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like Me. 
Declare, now watch this. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Now, the only way that you can declare the end from the beginning is if you are in control bringing that about. God's not just a fortune teller looking into the future and telling what by some chance happening is going to happen. Because he says, he finishes that quote with, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish most of my purpose. The really important stuff. I will accomplish. Yeah, not everything, but after all, who's perfect? Wait, wait, he's perfect, right? His knowledge is perfect. His power is perfect. His person is perfect. He is in perfect control of the situation. And he says, because of that, he will accomplish all of his purpose. God is sovereign. Just This is just a little wetting of your appetite. Hopefully you'll go read more about that. Um, Knowing God is a book on the table where you can read more about that with J.I. Packer. Remember old Nebuchadnezzar, how he stood before Babylon and said, isn't this the Babylon that I have made? Uh-oh. Pride goes before a fall and haughtiness before destruction. He went from the palace to the pasture grazing like an animal until his sense came back to him. And look at his conclusion. Look at old Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4, 34-35. At the end of days, of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Okay, he's hit rock bottom. He's ready to look up. A lot of times we have to hit rock bottom before we'll look up, right? I'm sad to say that. I know it's been true in my life. Why? Because we resist rescue. He said, my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. Now look, for His dominion, His rule is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Now look at this. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing in comparison. And He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? He does as He pleases in the heavens and on the earth. Psalm 153, Psalm 135, 6. If you're taking notes and want more scriptures, and those are just a couple, there are many. He works out everything according to the counsel of His will, Ephesians 1.11. Not just some things, not just the big things, not just the important things. Everything perfectly ordered to bring about rescue in Jesus. If you want to know why you're here, if you want to know why everything is still here, you're here, it's still here for Jesus. We're here for the glory of God in Jesus Christ. We, res- some, you know, we resist and some receive. But everything is still here so that this gospel of this rescuer can go to the ends of the earth. And God's people can come to faith. God is sovereign. He's in control. He set the stage. Notice in the story of Joseph, his sovereignty. Now listen to me. There's nothing you do about this. His sovereignty, His plan includes hard circumstances. There's no person you can send enough money to, no number of people you can get praying for you, nothing you can do to prevent having trouble in your life. How do I know that? Our prophet 
Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But he's provided for our joy in the gospel. And in Joseph's life, he had trouble. The very verse 9 starts out, the patriarchs, the twelve sons of, of Jacob, <clears throat> the fathers, jealous of Joseph. W- wait a minute. Jealous of Joseph. What is that? That's, that's, that is strong envy. This is bad zeal. This is not good zeal. This word can be used in a good way. Zealous for God's glory. Right? But this is the bad use. This is bad zeal. This is strong envy and resentment of someone that flows really from covetousness. And you know that the leadership is jealous of, of the church because everybody's turning and going to Jesus and that's why they're trying to stamp it out. But they were jealous of Joseph. Why are we ever jealous? We get, because somebody has something we don't have, right? We, we get jealous over the rich. Class warfare. Politicians are good at ginning that up. We get jealous over the good looking. We get jealous over the powerful. We get jealous over the famous. We get jealous of those who have a winning sports team and ours stinks. We get jealous over our siblings when they're doing better than we are. We get sinfully jealous when we don't have faith and trust in someone for no reason. But why was Joseph hated? Why were they jealous of him? Were they just, you know, they just didn't, just for no reason, they just didn't like him? Well, no, he, he, he was daddy's favorite. He was the son of Jacob's old age. And Jacob was not very wise about the situation. And it became very clear that Joseph was his favorite. And the coat of many colors he gave him was just a symbol of that favoritism. And, and Joseph, had he brought back bad reports to his father about his brother's shepherding of the flock. And then to top it all off, he has these dreams of a rule. Where he dreams and everybody else's sheaves are bowing down to him. And his brothers are like, nope, not happening. We are not bowing down to you. And he has another dream that includes his father and his mother and, and even Jacob. As much as he loved Joseph and he says he stored all these things in his heart, he's like, uh-uh. Boy, you eating too much pizza. This is not happening. And, and we can talk about whether it was wise or not for Joseph to share those dreams with his brother. Maybe, maybe not. But it was part of God's sovereign plan, right? But because of his dreams of rule, because of him being the favorite, because of him being maybe some sort of a tattletale, they didn't like him. And one day when he was sent to check on them, they saw him coming and said, Look, let's kill him. But Reuben intercedes. So they beat him and strip him and throw him in a cistern. And then Judah convinces them, yes, the line through which Jesus comes, to profit off of it. To sell him. Hey, let's make some money off the deal. Don't just leave him in a hole. Let's, here come the Midianite traders. Let's, traders, let's sell him to them. And so they, long story short, because of their jealousy and hatred of Joseph, the word says they couldn't even speak peaceably to him. Right? They end up selling him to the Midianite trailers. 
Traitors, worse than that, they take his coat of many colors and rip it up and put animal blood on it and lie to their father and let their father believe he'd been eaten by animals. And how they kept that lying that long, I don't know. But it, they sold him into Egypt. He's attacked. He's stripped. He's thrown in a hole. He's sold. And then he goes, if you know the story, he goes to, ends up being bought by Potiphar and being blessed in his house so that he is sort of under Potiphar. He, he sees to the operation of the household. He's faithful. God is blessing. Everything he does prospers. And Potiphar's wife, he's a good looking young man. She wants to be with him. He refuses. Even though he's been thrown in a hole and sold, he still has faith in God. How shall I commit this great sin against God? And against my master. And so seeing that, that she cannot succeed, she makes up a lie about him. It's not the truth that he tried to rape her. And she tells her husband, and Joseph goes to prison. Man, it's not enough to get sold. I mean, he goes from favorite, favorite to a slave. And then he seems to be doing pretty good. And whack! Another time his legs are knocked out from under him. He's in prison for something he did not do. And then he's blessed in the prison. And the, the, the prison keeper basically puts all things in his hand. And he's sort of ruler in the prison. Don't think that's a really cool place to be. Right? No. It's just the best of the mess. <laughs> it's still a mess. And then he's able to interpret the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker and, and, and things happen exactly as he interprets him. But when the cupbearer makes it back into the palace, he, instead of telling about Joseph, he forgets about him for years. So he's in prison for years for something he did not do. But God is sustaining his faith. He, I mean, he says it's God who gives answers to dreams. And so, in God's sovereignty, he's, he's sort of placed Joseph in the right, the right place to accomplish his will. And Pharaoh is having these dreams and nobody can answer them. Nobody can interpret them. And at this point, the cupbearer, oh, I realize my fault. I forgot the dude. There's a dude in prison that interpreted our dreams. Maybe he can interpret yours. Bring him in. And he does. He interprets the dream. There'll be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine and we need to prepare for the famine. And Pharaoh's like, who's wiser than this? You do it. And basically puts everything except the throne under Joseph. So you know, you remember those dreams about rule? Cha-ching. But don't minimize the path of suffering that he had to go through. It was God's plan to take him through. To prepare him for what he had for him. Now look at what it says in, in Acts 7-9. Now, some of you might say, if I said, if, if you pray for God to be with you and to rescue you out of your troubles, you're going to have a certain thing in mind, right, that you're praying for. But look what it says in verse 9 of Joseph. It says, God was with him. 
Really? He was hated. He was beaten. He was sold. He was imprisoned. He is suffering. God was with him. Every step of the way, God was with him, accomplishing his purpose in his life. Not sure how Joel Osteen will fit that in his book. See, we think if God is with me, no trouble. All easy. Everything cool. Everybody loves me. No. No. God was with him. Not just when he hit the throne. But everything up until that point. God was with him. And look what it says. And God rescued him. Back in verse 10 of Acts chapter 7. Now look at this. God rescued him out of all his afflictions. And we see that and we think affliction hits. We say help and he says yes and boom and pulls us right out. No. He was in the pit. And he had to go through the pit. He was sold and marched into Egypt. He had to be sold Again, to Potiphar. He was lied about, imprisoned for years before he hit the throne. And it says God rescued him. Hear this. God rescued him in his timing and in his way from all his troubles. But it was not immediate every time. God is always on time, but it's just His timetable, not ours. He rescued Him through, not around, the difficulty. Some of you are going through right now. And it's because, if it's because of your own stubbornness and rebellion against God, I call you to repent of your sins now. But it may be due to nothing you've done wrong. And you think, God, why, is I, why am I going through this? Why am I all alone in this? Well, number one, if you're trusting in Jesus and you're not resisting God, you are not alone in it. He is with you and for you. If you were for me, this wouldn't happen. Really? Look at the cross. <laughs> Let that transform our mindset. He rescued him through the troubles. Listen to me. Joseph's troubles were as much God's purpose as Joseph's reign. None of that was outside God's sovereignty. It was, it was the path that he had marked out. All his days were written down before there was one. I can walk. My troubles are as much God's plan as my ease or whatever. And if I can embrace them that way, then I can have peace in the midst of them. Now, if I'm paying stupid tax, in other words, I'm sinning and creating my own difficulty, even that I can learn from and grow and not do that again. But child of God, God doesn't abandon you when you sin. He disciplines you. He's still with you and for you. 
but he will correct you. He will remove his countenance of favor. You will struggle sometimes. And, and sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you will suffer for no fault of your own. And he's cashing that in too for your growth in grace. See, these troubles prepared Joseph. They humbled Joseph. They grew Joseph. They gave him patience, wisdom, plenty of time to meditate on God and who He was and His purposes. Because he smacked right up, told Pharaoh, it's not me interpreting your dreams. God will give the interpretation. If you're okay with that, we'll go ahead. They prepared him. And grew him. In other words, God was accomplishing His purpose through the trials. And so we can embrace them. Listen, I know this is not health and wealth teaching. I know this is not Osteen's book. I know that this is not the words of all the false prophets and people in, that you hear from a lot of. But it is the Bible. God is sovereign. He is in control. You will have difficulty, but you can have joy because Jesus is in it with you, accomplishing His purpose, and He will finish the work. How else can you say with James in James 1, chapter 2? Count it all joy, my brothers, or brethren. That's women and men. That's everybody in the church. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy when you're lied about. Count it all joy when you're put in prison for somebody else's fault. Count it all joy when you're sold and hated for no reason. When your car breaks. I mean, name it. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Listen, how do we count it all joy? It says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And listen, let's be honest about ourselves. We just never want our faith tested. Do we? God, please just make it easy. But we come out on the other side of these struggles with a testimony of God's faithfulness and grace. And our story is more God-glorifying because of them and we grow through them. It says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Notice the path to being complete and lacking nothing is through trials of various kinds and learning to count them all joy. Walking through them in faith, knowing that your sovereign God is in control and He's growing you and making you more like Jesus. I'm with you. I don't want any trouble. I'd love it if God just made it easy but we would just be spoiled. You don't raise your children like that, do you? Give them everything they want. Do whatever they say. Just leave the crown on their head. Let them call the shots. Oh, this might upset them. So That's a good way to raise a brat. Sometimes they're brats with you doing everything right, though, so don't, don't get all guilty on me. And if the first baby is really, really good, just hang on for the second one. <laughs> that's, that's a man that's got more than one child right there. <laughs> Praise God. Without trouble, there's no growth. Without trouble, there's no, no, no rescue. 
There's no rain. Joseph's story would not be as great as it is without the trouble. And your story will not be what it will be, would not be what it will be if it wasn't for the trouble. Because God is sovereign, has accomplished your redemption in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and is applying that to you and walking with you. What did Jesus say to Paul? Why are you persecuting my people? Why are you persecuting me? See, Pharaoh's dreams were right on time. Joseph was elevated. He was in position because of God's sovereignty. And in position meant in prison. Forgotten about. Suffering. Yes, he's got some favor in there, but it's it's prison. But he was sovereignly and perfectly positioned for when the trouble hit and the the dreams came for Pharaoh to be able to call out of the prison this man who was following God and have God through him interpret his dreams so he was elevated for reign. reign. See, God has set the stage Right here. It says, I love how it just skips over a lot of stuff and it has to because he has a purpose in his speech. But God rescued him out of all his afflictions, gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, made him ruler over all his house. And then just as the dream predicted, the famine hit. Seven years of plenty, which Joseph was storing up the food. In wisdom. And then the famine hit and there's no food and Jacob and his sons are getting hungry. And it says in verse 11, Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction and our fathers could find no food. Was that God's purpose? For them to not be able to find food at that point? Yeah. Sometimes the best thing that can happen to us is the cupboard be bare. Sometimes the best thing that can happen to us is the bank account be empty. It really reveals who we're trusting and what we're trusting, doesn't it? Read the life of George Mueller. Read. I mean, I can tell you personal experiences going through seminary when the bank account had 85 cents in it and I opened the door to go check the mailbox and the envelope full of money fell at my feet with no name on it. I still have no idea where that came from. God blesses and provides. He had set the stage for their rescue and that stage setting was in His sovereignty through suffering. And the re- Now notice this, the rejected one is on the throne. The one they had rejected, the one they said, you will never rule over us, is on the throne. They don't know it yet. All they know is they're hungry and can't find food. That was the first point. The second one is longer. No, it's not as long. So God had set the stage of rescue through rejection. Point number two, God accomplished the rescue through the rejected one. God accomplished the rescue. Look what it says in verse 12. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And there's a lot skipped here. They go, they're recognized by Joseph and he doesn't reveal himself immediately and he tests them and, and, and then it says, on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers 
And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred. They went down to Egypt, died there, was returned to the promised land when they were buried, basically. But look first at verse 12. Jacob hears, there's food. There's food. Go down to Egypt, there's food. And Joseph recognizes them when they come. And he will provide for them. But he wants to know if their hearts have had any change since they threw him in the hole and sold him. And He doesn't even know about the lie they told his father. Notice that the brothers have gone seeking food from the one whose rule they had rejected. We do this all the time, don't we? Think about this. In general, and certainly apart from salvation, but even in Christ sometimes, we reject Jesus' rule, but we expect His blessings. I don't really want you to be Lord over my life, but you really have to take care of me. And you're failing if you don't. I don't really want to read about who you are and know you and love you and submit to you, but boy, I'll be mad at you if you don't take care of me. Yeah, I'll pray when I'm in trouble. I'll worship when it's convenient. I'll do things on my schedule. But boy, you better be with me every moment of every day and take care of me. We don't say it like that, do we? They don't even know yet that they're seeking food from their brother. So after that first visit, they end up having to take Benjamin back. There's a lot of trials and struggle through all that. The money goes back in their bags and they're freaking out. Oh no. You know, they, they do take the money back and all of that. On the second visit, Joseph reveals himself. I'm, I'm leaving out a lot. Go read Genesis. You can get all the details. Of, and you see how over and over and over and over Joseph pictures Jesus. See, we read that story and we think we're Joseph. You know who we are in that story? We're his brothers. Joseph pictures Jesus like David does. It's not be like David is another sermon. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and he cares for their needs and takes care of them in Egypt. And there's a lot more there that I'm, I'm not going to cover. But notice deliverance came through the rejected one. Deliverance for Joseph, deliverance for his family came through difficulty. And the struggle was as much God's plan as the end. The, the provision. The deliverance went exactly according to God's plan. It says God was with him, taking him through and rescuing him out of all his afflictions on his timetable. Some of you have been suffering with something for a while and you wonder why God hadn't come through. He has. He has. He's with you in it. And he's using it. He's not going to take you out too quick so he can use it to make you like Jesus. And really, his goal is for you to trust him in it and to be happy and satisfied in him and not in what he provides. To grow in grace. 
See, this deliverance was exactly according to God's plan. God had strategically placed, placed Joseph through, notice this, through his brother's hatred of him. And the path to glory goes through suffering in this life. Now, thank God all of our life is not suffering and he's provided relief and joy too. But trusting him with it and knowing this thing, this thing that we see pictured in the life of Joseph and his brothers can help us trust and walk with him through the difficulty and not accuse him and not be disgruntled and not grumbling and all of those things we reveal were unbelieving at the time. We can count it all joy if we know God is sovereign. We can count it all joy if we know he has fully accomplished our rescue in Jesus. And we can count it all joy if he know, we know He's with us and rescuing us out of all our troubles. But in His time and according to His timetable. Trust Him and rest in Him. Let me, let me read one thing to you that's not in, there's not a slide for this. You can just write down a note. Listen to this from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and following. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same Kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now listen to this. And after you have suffered a little while, and everything's a little while in comparison with eternity, right? After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Most of the time, you will have to go through the difficulty. But if you know you're not alone going through it, and you know he's up to his purpose going through it, you can rest in the midst of it. Sleep in the boat during the storm like Jesus. And walk by faith and not by sight. Well, let me close with a couple of things. But Joseph is another wonderful picture of Jesus who was hated, betrayed, sold, and suffered. All of that. The silver. Everything. It was all according to God's plan to save His people. There would be no salvation for you if Jesus wasn't betrayed and sold and rejected and took God's wrath on our behalf. Look at this from Isaiah. This is some 700 years before it ever happens, talking about Jesus. Isaiah 53.3 He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus knows what it's like. To be betrayed, rejected, suffer. He's with you. He knows exactly firsthand. He's blazed the trail for you and He's taken suffering on a level you'll never experience for you. In, in verse 5 of Isaiah 53, it says, But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. Of our sin sickness. He took justice for us. Why did Jesus come and live? Just to be a wise sage or a good teacher. 
He came to fulfill His own law in thought, word, and deed because we had all broken it. He came to take our sin upon Himself and to die to pay the penalty for our sin. Not just that horrible physical death, but satisfying justice, the wrath of God due our sin being poured out on Him. Drank that cup dry on the cross. Paid that to God, not Satan. Satisfied justice for us to the extent that He could say on that cross, it is finished. He was buried and under the power of death for a time. And the third day He rose from the grave victorious, proving it's all true. Christ died for our sins. According to the Scriptures, He was buried and He was raised the third day. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was on Him and by His wounds we are healed. So you can't answer for your sin. That's why Jesus had to come and answer for us. And He paid it in full so that you can receive it as a free gift if you will turn from trusting in anything else and trust in Him. The offer goes out to everyone sitting here, young and old. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Are you trusting in Christ and in Christ alone? If you are, praise God, you know He's at work in you. God was with Jesus through the difficulty all the way to the resurrection when He ascending. And listen, the rejected one is reigning now. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Him. And He's coming again someday. And between now and then, there's opportunity for you to confess your sins and receive Jesus as your Savior. Will you continue to reject Him? Or will you receive Him, trust in Him for your salvation? The rejected one is our rescuer. The rejected one was rejected for us. Our sins imputed to Him. He died, paid the penalty so that His righteousness is imputed to us when by God's grace we repent and trust in Him. God be merciful to me, a sinner, the tax collector said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Notice I didn't say you have all your questions answered and all your troubles taken away. That's part of our growth as we continue in life. But the big question is answered and you can know you can lay your head on the pillow tonight and know that if that's your last breath you take you'll be in presence of Christ if you pass. And the brothers, I've said this already, Christ is a, Joseph is a wonderful picture of Jesus but the brothers are a good picture of us. Rejecting God's plan and rescue. See, we're born rejecting God's rescue. We want His blessing without His rule. And, and listen, His rule is real. He's reigning now and not asking for permission. But in His sovereignty, He has placed you here to hear His gospel. Today can be the day you stop rejecting His rule. Or if you're trusting in Him. See, we do it as Christians. We reject His rule as Christians. That might be shocking news, right? We'll perfectly stop doing that when we're glorified. Even after we're saved, we reject His rescue sometimes. What about prayer? We only pray seriously when we're in trouble. Prayer is a means of rescue. God, why am I struggling? 
First I've heard from you in a while. His Word. A lot of times our attitude, listen, and I know life gets busy when you have children, and we can default to this. Right? We can maybe not do it intentionally. But the, the, the practice at least becomes Sunday is enough. No time for more. Fellowship. We're not serious about doing life together. And then we struggle. God has not designed the Christian life to be a lone ranger experience. He won't bless you in isolation. Now, He's gracious and merciful, but I mean, we struggle, yet we reject His rescue. Worship. I mean, we don't really believe that God is most active for our conversion and sanctification on the Lord's Day in the context of worship. We think we can do it just as well at home or on the beach. That's not the way He's designed things. Prayer, word, fellowship, worship, they're all means of rescue to confirm you and comfort you and grow you and give you peace in the midst of your trouble. So that you can walk through the trials believing God is with you. God works through prayer to strengthen you and deliver you. He works through the Word to strengthen you and deliver you. Through fellowship to strengthen and deliver you. Worship. I mean, down the list we could go. And we neglect His rule in those things and we begin to suffer and we say, Why? If you ever spend much time counseling, a lot of times you'll get people to come to you and talk about how badly they're struggling. You say, well, tell me about your communion with God. Tell me about your prayer life. Tell me about your time in the Word. Not really my thing. Tell me about, you know, how, who, who is in your life that is a Christian brother or sister that you're really sharing the deep things of your heart with? Well, I kind of came to do that with you. Well, okay, but community, Word, fellowship, prayer, grace, gospel. A lot of times we need somebody else to tell us the gospel. Or we'll be comforted. God works through His means to rescue. And listen, when I reject the means He's provided for me, I'm rejecting His rule but expecting His blessings. Colossians 3.16, be filled with the Word, right? Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. Pray always. Pray without ceasing. Don't forsake the assembling of you together. Be with one another. Grow together in grace. Submit to His rule over your life. His ways are ways of rescue for His children. Love Him who has loved you enough to sacrifice His Son for you. Christ died for us. He was buried. He was raised the third day. And He provides a free gift of salvation if you will trust in Him. And He begins at that moment that you trust in Him, growing you in grace, growing you through difficulty. So you can't save yourself. You can't control your circumstances. You can't protect yourself from all hurt and pain. But you can walk through all of that with Jesus. Knowing that He's at work growing you in grace. Allow God's grace in Jesus Christ to overcome your resistance to rescue. Trust Him for salvation. Trust Him for daily provision. Trust Him to see you through to be with you and to rescue you out of all your difficulties in His time and in His way.
like the girls washed out to sea, calm down and reach out to your rescue. Trust Jesus. Love Jesus. Live joyfully according to your word. He is with you. He is your rescue. And He always has your best at heart. Love and trust Him. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us for the myriad of ways we resist You. And Lord, I pray that if any are in this room who are resisting Your Gospel, who are refusing to trust in Jesus for salvation and trust in Jesus alone, that You would be at work in their hearts to convict them of their sins, to turn them from darkness to light, turn them from rebellion to submission, turn them from sin and loving sin to trusting Jesus and wanting to be free from it, sin. Save, Lord. Apply Your Gospel. Those of us who know You, help us to stop taking You for granted. Help us to stop resisting Your rescue. Help us to stop wanting to be in control and trying to avoid all pain and just wanting things to go easy and and grumbling when they're not. From the life of Joseph, help us to see that You are involved every step of the way. That You are taking us through difficulty with a purpose. And You are sovereign and in control and growing us in Your grace that Your light might shine through us and the world might see someone who doesn't freak out when trouble hits. Help us to count it all joy when we encounter various difficulty because we are resting in You, trusting in Your love, trusting in Your grace, trusting in Your sovereignty and Your power. Help us to be light and salt. Lord Jesus, the one who was rejected for us and who is reigning now, help us to trust You, love You, rest in You, live for You. To submit to You when we understand it and when we don't. When we like it and when we don't. When it's comfortable and when it's not. Knowing that You have us, You're for us, and You're with us, and You will take us all the way home. Lord, working us through Your Word, we cast ourselves on You and we thank You that You are kind and gracious and merciful and compassionate and long-suffering with us and that You will finish the work that You have begun in us. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.